Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I would like to announce that I am in much better form than I was last week. Oh. I feel like this week I've been treated, Andrew. It's... So yesterday we had the Republic of Ireland put in just one of the most enjoyable performances, 1-1 draw in uh, Wydge in Poland against Ukraine. Good Ukrainian side. Yarmolenko, Zinchenko, all those guys. Um, and scored one of the best goals an Irish player has ever scored, Nathan Collins' goal. And then I'm, I'm like, oh, do I have to watch a game in El Salvador in the rain? It turned out to be one of my favourite games of this year so far. An absolutely brilliant game. And then I thought, oh, what's next this week? I'm going on Friday to a retrospective showing of Michael Mann's 1995 L.A. Noir crime thriller, Heat, Tribeca Film Festival. My mm. girlfriend got me tickets for it. She saw it on New York One. She said, you got to go to this because I'm, you know I'm obsessed with Heat, that film. And... After the showing, Robert De Niro, oh come on, Al Pacino, Michael Mann, they're going to be there discussing the film. This is this is the potential to be one of the best weeks. That's, and I'm doing the like, podcast tonight. Well, that that's like bucket list stuff that you're describing there. Oh, unbelievable! And you know. Like, my girlfriend has to put up with so much. So whenever mm. we sit... Heat I know rela- how she feels. <laughs> Heat-related quotes all the time, out of nowhere. Like, she ha- she'll hand me a coffee in the morning, and I'll, I'll turn around and I'll go, I had coffee with Macaulay half an hour ago! You know, doing Al. And she'll be like, can you stop, please? <laughs> um, and I'll be quoting at her. <laughs> through, like, this is her own form of torture. She's signing herself up for this cultural waterboarding. That I'm going to do, um, but I, I am I'm absolutely uh, I'm pumped. I I I wanted to record this podcast in a diner like the heat scene where De Niro delivers this amazing line. Guy told me one time, "Don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around a corner." Yeah, I I can't walk out on this podcast. You see. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, you don't strike me as somebody that adheres by uh, advice like that. No, I think if you're committed to something, you, you stay the course. Yeah. Um, unless it's dangerous or life-threatening. Well, yeah. I hope you have fun. It sounds amazing, truly. Yeah. So just, is this an acknowledgement in some way that last week was an off week for yeah, you? Yeah, no, I should. I was I was in a weird place. Someone congrat- I, fe- I felt it. I felt it. Someone congratulated me for, for, for being open and honest about my feelings. Um but I don't think I deserve congratulations for that. But um, yeah, I wasn't. I was. I just. We all have those. I was flat. I was so flat. We all um, have those. Uh, and I also went to see a birthday present that was given to me. Come from away. The oh wow, I've heard that's a great show. I despise musicals. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. But continue. <laughs> but I enjoyed that immensely. So okay. there you go. Maybe you don't despise musicals. Maybe you just haven't seen the right ones. That that might be true. Yeah. Speaking of musicals, go ahead. Sort of. Here's a question. We're going to get into the the meat of the show in a minute. I think people are going to like something that makes a return tonight. Uh, I'll give you a hint as to what that is. I don't know if that gives it away or not. Um, 
And then later on, we're going to talk to Doug McIntyre. We got a lot to discuss as the U.S. closes this window. We only hit, we're only going to see him two more times between now and the World Cup. So there's a, a lot to get into with Doug of Fox Sports about the U.S. Two more times, 180 minutes. Yeah, that's it. Uh, two more games they have. Oh God. Yep. And then off to Qatar. Uh, before we get into that, though, you're talking about musicals. I saw a question posed by Tottenham's Eric Dyer on Twitter, and I thought of you. A man of culture. I thought of you when I when I when I saw him pose this question. He says he so he's on. Uh, on Twitter, you can see he's been on vacation with friends or whatever, and he puts this question up. He says, this has been a two-day debate. You can't watch any sport ever again or listen to any music ever again. Which one are you oh choosing? Oh, God. Oh, Eric. No more music or no more sports the rest of your life? I mean, I think music's going to get the bullet, but... It's tough. It's Oh my God! How much I couldn't fathom my life without sports. I love music, I absolutely adore it, but I just I could not fathom my life without sports. You, uh, you adore music. I do. Uh huh. Oh, I'm sorry that we're not on your level with Joy Division. Oh no, I don't have a Joy Division T-shirt. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not JJ. It's not that. It's it's you only listen to Gusto. That's not true. They're my favorite band. Who? What? What other band are you listening to right now? Should we do? Remember that game we used to play with yeah, our phones? Let's go. You're gonna go <laughs> the iPod shop. But but maybe you should go to Spotify on repeat. Okay. Let, first, I don't have a Spotify account. Oh, first for one, God's uh, sake. Tom Petty's "Great Wide Open" is the first thing that comes up for me. Okay. Hit it again. Radiohead "High and Dry" is the next one that comes up for me. Next one. Uh, let's see. This is how it feels to have a broken heart, Guster. The Lumineers, Stubborn Love is the next one. Eagles Fight Song is the next one after that. Uh, let's see. I've got one of those. I've got one of those. On my list, I've got Poor Scouser Tommy <laughs> by um, by Jamie Webster, the Liverpool guy. So, yeah. so, my so that was just me hitting next on my iPod or, or my, on my Here's phone. my top on repeats. Def by Just Mustard, Jackie Down the Line, Fontaine's DC, Neighborhood 3, Power Out, Arcade Fire. Mm-hmm, I know that. Autumn Sweater, Yola Tango. Down, 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 Gamba Freaks, intro by the XX, the succession main title theme. <laughs> the That's all right. I got those on here. I got a whole bunch of Hans Zimmer cuts from different uh, Dark Knight and, and Iron Man. Sugar System of a Down, Untitled Interpol, My Own Summer, Shove It, Deftones, uh, Dirty Epic, Underworld, Knocking on Heaven's Door, Guns N' Roses, Anarchy in the UK, Sex Pistols, blah, blah, blah. Oh, Mobamba, Sheck West has, make a, has made a... An appearance. I won't have it. Just because my favorite band happens to be one that you don't care for doesn't mean that I can't also love music. By the way, what kind of psycho is Eric Dyer? That is a grim, What do you mean? It's a great question. It's grim Vista. I think it's a great question. So, In case you were curious, by the way, 37, or no, let me see here, 40,000 people responded doesn't shock, doesn't shock me. That is one where you're like, you now, gotta, you gotta now, get involved. He's a soccer player, so obviously it's gonna be, like, sports fans will follow him. They'd be more likely to follow him. If he were a, a musician, he'd have people who love music to follow him. So you won't be surprised. 62.3% said music, gone. Uh, 37.7% said sports, gone. He should have put up three options. Uh, number one would have been music. Number two, sports. Number three, transfer rumors. Because the kind of people that follow footballers are, uh, you know, you know the guy, the reply guy? So, like Liverpool tweet out something about uh, a charity they're working for and underneath announce Mbappe <laughs> <laughs> yes oh those people oh man I heard Eric Dyer actually on um, 
What's this podcast called? It's a British podcast. I'm trying to find it right now. Is he? Is he? It was like an hour and thirty minutes with him. Why do I? And feel it was like, amazing. Was he, he er- was, erudite and interesting and so much so? Not that I. I don't know what my perception of him was. I. I, I love him as a player. I don't really. I've never really known him. I mean, he's he's kind of like a warrior type. He's the guy that I picture going into the stands at, during the FA Cup because he, he talked, did it. He talked all about that. Wow. But like, he was really deep. He was really like introspective. It was it was pretty fascinating. Didn't he have most of his education in, in form- Portugal? Yeah, maybe maybe in Portugal. You know, yeah. traveled. Broadly. He talked all about that. You know, his years there. Yeah, it was. Oh man, I'll try. It's, I'll try to find it. it. Was it was great stuff? It's a bit. It's a bit better than um, than Jack Grealish, I guess. Who? What's that? <laughs> when he was at, when he was showing the map of England, Unbel- like he didn't know what England looked like. How is that? How is that possible? <laughs> I I, although, I, yeah, but he's um, Dyer himself. No, Grealish himself rather is a really inter- interesting interview of late post match. Like he's um, he's very open. You know, oh, yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. He spoke after the Premier League uh, final day, a day in which he didn't come on, and he spoke to the Sky crew, and he talked about the pressure of playing, not in front of the Manchester City crowd or in the Champions League, but playing and training in front of Pep Guardiola week in week out. Really? Yeah, he was. He was very. He was very loose. It was almost like he'd had a celebratory drink. And was letting it all out, and the pressure that was—that is interesting—and the pressure to not give the ball away, because at Villa it was expected he's our most penetrative dribbler. He's going to give the ball away. That's part of the the give and take of having your flair player regularly on the ball. But at City, he's he's petrified to do it, takes the safer option, mm-hmm. and then I guess has this kind of, I suppose, guilt because he's not doing the things that Jack Grealish usually does. Now I can. Imagine like Michael Goodman and all the stats boys who like they they keep like they just don't seem to get it, right? They bang the drum that because his stats for City are really good, and they are in many metrics, mm-hmm. that means that he's had a good season. He has not had a good season. He doesn't think he's had a good season. And he wants to do better because I guess when you're that kind of artistic mind, that creative player in a team. It's not enough to. I still believe it will click for him there. I think. I just so. think so highly of his talent, and I think it'll click for him playing in that system. I think it takes a lot of guys. Who were we talking to recently that said there's a lot of guys that go there that it takes a year to figure well, it he's out? He's very self-aware of the issues, so I mean that's the first step to tackling a problem. Yeah. But anyway, we okay. we are uh, we're getting off point. That's all right. That's all right. That's what this is all about. Just, it's the summer, man. Just talking. Uh, let's see. All right. So I gave you the hint, JJ. Let's go right into it now. It's an honor. It's a true honor to bring back to the Caught Offside podcast a little bit of this. Football. It's That's a, right. It's an absolute classic. That's right. For those who are new to the podcast, every once in a while, we'll... we'll We'll dust off the wheel. We bring it out here. We give it a spin. On the wheel, we have loads of different topics. Whatever the wheel lands on, whatever that topic has to be, bang. We just, we're off and running on it. Uh, so here we go. I'm going to give it uh, the first spin here. And around and around. And, oh, perfect. Perfect. Just perfect. This is the exact thing I wanted to talk about. America on the rise <laughs> is what it landed on, JJ. Because America's back. <laughs> uh U.S., of course, coming off of the two Nations League games 
as well as the two friendlies, uh, which we talked about the friendlies, Morocco and Uruguay. We had the chance to do that, but we um, haven't had the chance to talk about um, Grenada and El Salvador. So let's do it. Now, I don't know. It's hard to come up with, with real concrete takeaways from the last two. Very tough. So I'll just kind of go through my, my general stream of consciousness of things that I have felt over the past week or so watching this team play in these games. Um, let's start with the most important thing, and that is trying to determine who the striker is going to be. Jesus Ferreira, four goals versus Grenada. What is to be made of that? Oh, Lord, did Twitter <laughs> so, go at it? Well, because it's very, it's very confusing when you're watching a game. You know, sometimes you get swept up in the game and you sort of, you understand that the opponent is who it is, but you're also watching this guy score four goals and you get swept up in what that looks like. And so you start thinking, wow, this is great. But then you also get the people who, who can't remove it from their minds of who the opposition was and how much that matters. So I guess the question is, like, if if Jesus Ferreira in that game was terrible, then that would have been really problematic. That might have been the death knell for him in terms of his chances of being a starting player or maybe even on the team for the U.S. He wasn't terrible. He played really well. He scored four goals. Um, so is it fair that a horrible performance could have crushed him, but a great performance means nothing? That's not fair. Um... I almost, I kind of think... Means nothing is strong. And, uh, but I we have to think contextualize this. I'm not sure any of these four games matters a jot. I think it for does November. to Greg. I think he these are like we said, he only has six opportunities in in matches to watch this team play and to get a sense of who he's bringing. He probably knows if it's a twenty six man roster, which I think it's gonna wind up being, um, he probably knows what would you say, twenty one of them? But there's a tryout here for who those other five or so spots are going to be and what his starting 11 is going to be. So you can't say it doesn't mean nothing. He doesn't have many opportunities to make those decisions. These mm. games mean something. There's a reason that Christian Pulisic is starting against El Salvador in that weather. He I wants to see how he's playing with other certain players around him. I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think last night in particular, in what was a tremendously fun game, he inserted certain guys into what will be at least the frame or what what was available to him to be the frame of the team mm-hmm. and to see how they how they would do definitely because there's no other explanation for the words in which he spoke about for example another center forward Hadji Wright this is from Kyle Bon at the underscore bonfire two ends in bonfire wow harsh words from Bearhalter on USMNT forward Hadji Wright Quote, it's always difficult when players get a chance and they don't capitalize, don't capitalize on it. It's difficult for the coaches and it's difficult for teammates. We thought he could be a force, but it just wasn't his night tonight. Bearhalter did say, did end by saying, it doesn't rule out Hadji for anything in the future. We don't work like that, but it was an unlucky night for him. Now, <clears throat> he, took, he took him off at the half. That wasn't great. I actually didn't think Wright was that bad. I don't think there was a ton of service. There was the chance he had on the left-hand side, which he snatched at, which was at the end of a good move. But he also kind of won a corner himself with a sharp turn down the right-hand side where he skinned the um, the El Salvadorian defender, got blocked, went out for a corner. I didn't think it was great. 
I didn't think it was bad. He didn't do much. He didn't do much, but there was a, I didn't think he did a whole ton against Morocco, except he got handed the the ball for a penalty by yeah. his by by his captain and buddy, Christian Pulisic. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. The mind frame for Greg is that he's learning lots of things. I don't know if what we've seen can really, apart from the selection of a team for the first game against Wales, can be extrapolated forward into well the team is doing well in this area, the team is not doing great in this area. Um, so I, I did it much more simple than you. I did who's up, who's down. Um, up, Yunus Musa. Up, Luca De La Torre. Even further oh, up. Oh, Luca De La Torre. I, I, I was going to say about him, JJ, if if he's not on that flight to Qatar, I, I'm rioting. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. And I think... Just he's to, so calm on the ball. So good on the ball. His delivery for the Jordan Morris... Perfect. Was right on his on the on, on the on his noggin. It was it was excellent. And also on a night where you saw a lot of free kicks flatline because of it was hard to get it up off the field, that that surface, that pitch which we'll get to. Um his was was without great. without issue, without problem. And um who else is up? My final one is Aaron Long, and he's up because he's been carried aloft on the shoulders of the manager. He's given him every opportunity to bet in in that centre-back position. Now, I have to be careful what you say about Aaron Long because New York Red Bull supporters get very snippy if you have any criticisms whatsoever. But it is very clear at this juncture that Bearhalter wants him to succeed, wants him to be that potential partner for Walker Zimmerman. I, I, th- I, th- I know we talked about... What if Chris Richards was there? How would that impact things? I, I think I think it's Long and Zimmerman right now. It is, and there's only 180 minutes potentially for Chris Richards to be able to prove emphatically otherwise. Right. He started well. Up- now his club form could have a say in this. Right. Okay. But right now, as we sit here, right. that's what I'm taking. My downs. Hadji Wright. Mm-hmm. Just clearly based on what the manager said about what, and I also don't think he's what the manager wants from the central striker in that in that. Three. Whatever you say, they've got to be more mobile, and I I would question how how mobile Hadji Wright is um, versus. Yeah, he had an opportunity and he didn't capture it the way that I think Bearhalter maybe was hoping. He, he has would. to hit the target, work the keeper in that in that in that scenario. Um, Ethan Horvath. Now, um, I actually would give Ethan Horvath something of a pass on the goal that went in last night, but. Yeah. You don't get passes when you're beaten from that position. However, if I'm going to cede that ground to the people who say it was a rookie error, I am going to say that it was a brilliant take by Laren because he's played him with the eyes. He's looked up with the full intention of whipping in across, and instead he rifles a shot in. It can't happen. I can't I, let it happen. Uh, you can't, but... By the same token, I still think it's a brilliant execution. Sure. I mean, yes, I'm all for... We can lay blame and we can give credit at the same time, but but Horvath helped that occur. You know, but he takes that little half step and then because of the nature, maybe of the surface, or of, yeah. he planted his feet, he can't get back across. And it's so quick and, and rapidly hit. It reminds me of Goodfellas when Tommy is whacked. He walks into the room and at, there's the split second where he realises and he goes, oh no, and he doesn't even get the no out and he's shot through the head. Oh. That's exactly what happened to Horvath there. Exactly what happened yes. to Horvath. So, 
Uh, I think Harvard's in trouble a little bit as well. Um, I think Tim Weah, I know he scored against Morocco, but his frustration coming off last night. Now, the players mightn't mightn't tell you this readily, but I'm pretty sure they all enjoyed that last night. That was an absolute barnstormer. That was back to the old school. Your high school pitch... I think Tyler Adams throwing that El Salvadorian player to the ground was one of the top three moments of his life. Are you telling me Weston McKinney didn't enjoy it? Are you are you telling me Eunice Musa didn't enjoy it? There was well, one, he played he played very well. He was brilliant, and it was a game that suited it, where it was hard for the US to do quick passes in the final third by the nature of the field. It was Eunice Musa's athleticism that carried the biggest threat in the second half. If you look at the best chances in the second half, it was Eunice Musa when he was fouled for the red card when he drove into the box and did the 1-2 with Weah and the keeper made the save and then it was Weston McKinney who went on a run <laughs> down the, did you see that one that went down the sideline down, sorry down the end line and I'm like cross it cross it and he cuts the ball back and it shows how the US struggled to create offence the ball ends up back at the centre half in the centre mid position I'm like guys you're not making- oh yeah I do remember that that was, that was weird but um well, I thought Tim Weah coming off the field, there was a frustration there. There clearly was. That A, he was being taken out, but that B, that's the kind of game a guy of his swagger and his ability should be like just absolutely cutting teams asunder. And it didn't happen. I guess, I mean, the game was fun to watch. I don't know how many judgments I'm ready to pass for guys playing on a field like that mm, in those conditions. I think uh, uh, Yunus Musa uh, is used to... I've seen enough good from Tim Weah. Snooker table tops, Andrew, of fields. And he completely yeah, he, he got into Yeah, he played a great this. game. I'm, I'm not looking at that game and saying that it's a reason that I'm suddenly down on Weah. And my final down over the four-game period is uh, is John Brooks. <laughs> what not, did he do? Not even there. That's the point. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm looking for ways that... that a bun- I mean, they're... That he can get back in and I can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> right, no, I well, can't the fact even that Long, see it. The fact that Aaron Long started all four games, again, the manager is telling you something. Yeah. that's not That doesn't happen by accident. Just to bring it full circle, I saw this note from um, Justin Moran on Twitter uh, about Jesus Ferreira. This was, now this is prior to last night's game against El Salvador, but the point remains. So it breaks down Ferreira's performances based on the opponent's FIFA ranking. So like, Against how he how he performs against good teams, average teams, bad teams. Okay. Teams that rank somewhere between first and fiftieth in the FIFA World Ranking. He's made five appearances against those teams. Zero goals, zero assists. Hasn't done a thing. Fifty-one through a hundred in the FIFA World Rankings. Five appearances, just one goal, just one assist. I'm going to need XG here. One hundred one from one hundred one through one seventy. So now we're kind of down into the into the dregs a little bit. Two appearances. Six goals, three assists. He's built up a nice statistical resume against some shoddy opposition. In his opportunities against better teams, he has not... And you're right, there's more to it. I don't have the XG. I just simply have goals and assists. Which, by the way, matters quite a bit for a guy playing that position. I wonder what conversation were happening if the drilled cross from DeAndre Yedlin is not behind him. Versus Uruguay. I mean, it wasn't. You're right. It wasn't. It wasn't on a platter for him. It also. Let's not make it sound like he needed to like go stretch Armstrong to bring that thing back. Look, I like him, and he's and he's been very good in MLS this year. Doesn't, and he should be. Like and it. he should be on the flight. But I'm just saying, 
We haven't seen enough yet. He might be the starting number nine. But, like, you can sit here right now and tell me that if it's him, you're like, okay, well, we're good there. Not yet. I haven't seen that yet. So, let's get. I mean, four goals the other night was great. I'm glad that he did it. I want him to keep, keep, stay in the running. Like, don't give them an opportunity of what happened to all these other guys where, you know, Ricardo Pepe didn't perform. All right, you're out. Next one up. Like, Jesus Ferrer is doing just enough to make sure that doesn't happen. He's going to keep his name at the top of the list. But that doesn't mean that I'm feeling like that's a, posi- a position of strength for us. Does that make sense? That's fair. Okay. Um, I should mention, uh, just because of, of, of all the Musa love I've shown already tonight, uh, Musa nominated for 2022 Golden Boy. U.S. International is among the 100 candidates for Best Under-21 Player of the Year, um, which is a prize that's annually given out by Tutusport. The Golden Boy. Golden Boy. Best, um, best Boy. Wasn't that from Arrested <laughs> Development, from Mother Boy? And the winner of Best Boy goes to something like that. Yeah, I, I think know. it was. Um, yeah, so, but it gives you a kind of measure of of where he stands. And um, I thought he was just brilliant last night. There was another funny cinematic moment where he was enjo- he seemed to be enjoying himself so much. But then when he was dragged to the ground... The muck actually got in his eyes. It was in a, he, and he's, he's screaming. I think he swallowed it. Yeah, he's, <laughs> but it was like something. It was like platoon. <laughs> Again, it another was. another horrifying analogy. It was like platoon. <laughs> yeah, it was like oh my god, and he's scraping it out of his eyes and out of his mouth. Yeah, I mean, how often do you see? Because he had just drawn a red card there, um, and normally in a situation like that. The player who's gone down, he'd be flailing his arms, doing anything that he possibly could to get the referee's attention. I mean, it was a it was a bad foul. He his reaction was zero. It was, oh my god, my mouth is filled with mud. <laughs> what can I do to change this situation? He wasn't even thinking about the fact that he just drew a red card. I um I love the laundry differences as well after halftime. So some guys like oh, I'll just change my shirt. Some guys shirt and shorts. Other guys, nobody almost, because the whole rigmarole of putting on socks and shin guards and and tape and everything now is not worth it. What, what happens for a team like the U.S. backed by Nike? Yeah, lots they'll of have like three. Like, but I'm saying like those uniforms that they wore last night, those go in the trash, right? Like they're never going to wear those I again. T- I, a lot of those, they're not going to try to clean those. Are no, they? well, I mean the players will take some of them with them if they whether they'll have like the option auction, auction them off for charity. But I'm saying like, well, no, some of the, they might you sw- can't wear that again. Well, they might swap, and a Salvadorian player might say, "Hey, I'll swap a jersey with you," and that goes in that gets laundered and put in your collection. Or you may have a pre-existing uh, relationship with the charity, you give it to that. Or U.S. Soccer might say, "Well, we're giving these away to X charity. Can you? Yeah. Or that's going to this museum or whatever." Um, but but the interesting thing for me is that so now it's like everyone cuts their socks, so they're probably only going to have one pair of cut socks unless Nike are supplying them with the tube sock now, which is like empty, like it's cut at the bottom so they can attach it to whatever like um, True Grip or whatever brand of sock they're using. So it would have been absolute torture to try and unravel. You would have had enough time in a 15-minute halftime to get through it. So they all trooped back with their soggy boots and their soggy socks. Um, I was really, it was... It was a fun watch. I wa- I and pl- it was cool seeing, you know, get Jordan Morris getting a late equalizer. And it was good for him because he didn't play well against Grenada. And you know I'm a Jordan Morris guy. I don't know that he's going to make this team. Um, but it was nice to see him score that goal. That was that was a fun end to that game. Yep, I, uh, I, I mean seconds so. after Weston McKinney had a free header where I was sure he scored, didn't and you think oh okay, but they kept the pressure on, they got the goal, 
Uh, so, you know, it wasn't it wasn't great, wasn't perfect, ah, but I, uh, it was a fun watch. It was a bar- barnstormer. Enjoyed it. Fun watch, definitely. Um, okay, are we ready for the next spin? Spin it, boy. And, yeah, transfer dealings is what it lands on, JJ. So we got a few here. Some have been confirmed. Some have not. We got a few here. Well, I'll just roll through a couple of them. We'll start with uh, with Liverpool. Darwin Nunez goes to Liverpool. An initial fee of seventy five million euros. Um, it's been agreed to with twenty five millions in potential add ons. I saw Duncan Castles refer to those as quote easy add ons. So I would say expect this to rise to a hundred. Okay. That's that is uh, if I'm going to take him at his word. Well, Duncan Castles, who deli- often delivers the Manchester United side of things, uh, he calls it easy. I don't know. I mean, okay, Duncan. <laughs> we don't know what they are, so. All right. Well, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm believing him. That's all right. Let's go with the old old Dunk. Um, yeah. You, this is this is amazing <laughs> to me, just because like we talk about keeping a squad fresh. Like this is this is how you do it. Like this was a team when I looked at Liverpool a year ago. I did not look at their front line and say that there's a weak, there's an obvious weakness there that they mm. need to freshen up. And here we are a year later. And they've added Luis Diaz and Darwin Nunez, two of the biggest names that they could have added. Like this is how you make sure that things don't go stale. This is uh, just a fascinating uh, transfer for me, and I'm not sure what whether like it's not whether I need to be convinced or not. But it so so what strikes me is it's outside of the Liverpool model the amount of money that's being paid. Yeah. Like Liverpool generally don't. Don't pay that. Well, much. they've done it when they felt like they needed to. They spent a lot on Allison. They spent a lot on Virgil Van Dyke. And and how did they? But how did they pay for that? They paid. They literally cashed the check from Coutinho and then went oh, and spent and it on way, those two players. That, that will happen again because Sadio Mane is going to leave. So, so they're going to get. So they, I'm sure that. they know that. But like, but I'm saying like they when they feel like they have a position where they need to spend big on, they do it, and they've always done so wisely. It's yeah, just, it, they've been huge huge moves for right, them I'm that not, have been behind their their. Yeah trophies true it's just been a you know four or five years since they've done it so uh, you know it is a little bit out, out of the pale for them to do it the you know it, it seems as if it's a you know a very soon reaction to what Manchester City did down the road with Erling Haaland um, and just the, the type of player he is now I have not seen enough nor has mo- most Liverpool supporters to be honest with you of Darwin Nunes apart when he played against us and, and did quite well um, to, to know exactly what we're getting here like, we can watch as many YouTube videos as you want, but he is a departure from the striker or the forward attacking player that we've been buying regularly. So, even in size, I mean, he's six... Well, definitely. He doesn't look like any of the guys no. that are He's six there foot before. two, so automatically you're thinking, is he going to play more centrally? But then some of the tape I've watched of him he can actually come in from either side and be very, very effective. He's more mobile than I thought. Um, I'm just fa- I'm fascinated by this transfer. I really am. Liverpool, f- Liverpool have been aggressive in getting this player, um, a player who was on the radar of Manchester United and and other top European clubs. I mean, once I, I guess Liverpool entered the fray, there's not hope he's going to a team who aren't in the Champions League. That's that's not going to happen. But I, I, you know, there was a general perception that this is a this is the next big striker. In, in European football, I I don't know yet. I really don't. Now, I, I think I, I think what you said about a response to the Haaland signing is interesting. Yeah, and I and I Liverpool do, are not usually reactionary. 
I feel like they, they are comfortable marching to the beat of their own drum. And I'm not saying this won't be the beat of of their of their own drum. But now, there he is, said, there what, is what, a what large, the, Andrew, there is a large expensive drum down the street that is almost impossible to keep up with, but Liverpool have 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 done oh, have done amazingly well so far to do it. And I wonder if if there's maybe a slight acceptance in FSG that we are going to have to really push the boat out to go again next season and to get close to City, if particularly if the Haaland signing clicks. Is this also them, is this maybe not about next season? Like, I'm not saying he won't be a factor next season, but are they, are they covering themselves for if the Salah thing doesn't pan out and they lose him? Is this cover for that? Um, I think it's an acceptance. Could be. It's a cover for all three of those forwards. Like, they're all 30, and we know what Liverpool do. The short-term contract, don't generally like to extend it. We've seen players leave. Gini Wijnaldum, when when we felt he was irreplaceable, he had to go because because of that's the, the system that Liverpool operate. I, I just had a nightmare scenario in my head of... <laughs> oh, yeah, this is the point I wanted to bring up. Late, if you look at the last two months, Andrew, of of Liverpool and the way Salah fell off mm-hmm. and the way things seemed to be a grind and trying to get results against Tottenham and couldn't do it and seeded the league championship and everything seemed to be much tougher and not taking chances in the Champions League final. This seems to be as much of anything as a reaction to that, meaning we need more firepower. We need different ways to win. Now, I don't want a scenario where we're playing a Conte Tottenham and suddenly it's Trent Alexander-Arnold diagonal passes trying to find Darwin Nunes for headers and knockdowns and things like that. But maybe it is an acceptance that we need different ways to play teams and that we won't always play through teams. Maybe sometimes the best way through a door is with a battering ram. More, so. more physicality. I don't know, but... For what it's worth, he, he said one of the draws for him was playing for Klopp. Sure. Which is something we talked about recently, that as long as Klopp is there, there will be attack-minded players that want to play for that, him. And that's another vision in my head, like this this uh, muscular, um, quick, six-foot-two player sprinting at you in a press. That's, uh, that's something we really haven't seen. We just watched it with the U.S. We did? Yeah, the U.S. dealt with him fairly fairly well in the Euro. I mean, he had a few moments in the Euro. Oh, we did, US yeah. Match. Oh, um, well, he had a couple moments. He, center, he, he, he set, set up the one that <laughs> Cavani right. should have won on. Yeah. He had another one, though, where um, it was a two-on-one, I think, he, and he made a terrible pass. Uh, was it to Varela? But you, he's a, you could tell. You've seen enough of him to know he's a really, I'm, really I'm, good player. Look, I'm, I'm there to be, to be convinced one, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Co- a couple more. Let's go through them quick here. Yeah. We've only spun the wheel twice. Oh, God. Um, uh, let's go to Real Madrid for a sec. Aurelian Chouamene, six-year contract, an initial fee of 80 million euros uh, as a 21 year old last season he was elite in winning back possession um, I think they're kind of looking for him to maybe be the the Casemiro replacement but he, in that he, midfield he's also capable of of playing not exclusively but as an eight as well getting into the box and as an you know an attacking option he, which yeah. is kind of fri- he's, frightening he's a great player he's so young something is happening here with Real Madrid like it's funny because like They've they've just won the Champions League, and they've done so while simultaneously building something for tomorrow. 
and it's really impressive. Look at their midfield now. So he's 21. Um, Camavinga's 19. Mm. Federico Valverde's 23. So that's their midfield. But like, keep go, look around their squad. Rodrigo's 21. Vinicius is only 21. Uh, Militao at central defense is only 24. That's an extraordinary amount of talent under the age of 25. Yeah. So like they, we know that like they had that previous generation. Modric, who's still great, by the way, and is probably going to just keep signing one-year contracts until they think he can't play anymore. Cruz, Benzema's going to maybe win the Ballon d'Or. Casemiro. But, like, like, they are, they're ready for the next, like, they're going to blend those two generations together. We just saw how it worked last season. I think they're going to be great. I mean, the challenge for them that's coming down the line is how do you replace a, a, a talent as unique and exceptional as Luka Modric that will be the biggest problem for them mm-hmm. but um, maybe there is some upside to losing out on spending a gargantuan amount of money on one player in Mbappe and being able to spread it around and do a proper rebuilding yeah I mean I they would, won't see it that way because that's not who also, they are but you could suggest that okay it's not an Mbappe amount of money but this is also a gargantuan amount of money. It's not Mbappe money. No, it's, it's not, not wages, but it, Andrew. It's, but it's eighty million, and I'm trying to remember if that's total or if that's before add-ons. I don't know. It's gonna. It's a lot. You're right. It's not Mbappe money. That would have been Mbappe's what, uh, wages alone would have put them in a position where it would restrict greatly the reinforcements they could bring in other positions. This is this is not by design, but it might work out. Uh, let's see. This one is not done yet, so I'm hesitant to go too deeply on it, but it looks like it's really, really close, and that is Tottenham with Yves Basuma from Brighton, which is um, which is a really interesting one. Tottenham are they're kind of they're doing all they can to convince Conte that they that they are going to back him. Like yeah. that was the promise that they made, and usually the Tottenham way is to do nothing until the final hour, and you know <laughs> deal with what's left. They are they are on the front foot here. They're looking to make moves and do so quickly, which I think you have to like as as a Spurs fan. Can I ask you a quick question? Realizing that this is not done yet, so we have to kind of temper our yeah our comments a little bit. Who does he replace? Who gets the boot? I have to believe that Hoybier does, and and which is interesting because it won't because I think they really like what they got from Bentoncourt last season, and I don't see him leaving that spot. So if it's Hoybier, which again it may not be, uh, but that's just my that's my impression. Um, that's it. Hoybier occupies a really interesting place in present Tottenham culture. This Tottenham fans can call me on this if they disagree. Um, I think he's one of the most underappreciated players that they've had in the last I'd say five years. I would so. say he's been a lightning rod for criticism when things go wrong. People just saying, "Well, he's just not good enough on the ball for Tottenham." He plays every game. You know, he's he. I think he's provided good, like a nice shield at times for the back line. He's a good passer. I saw this JJ as I was going through the stuff on Basuma, um, who scored, put out a tweet ranking the defensive midfielders last season, and Basuma was uh, had the seventh highest who scored rating from uh, defensive midfield, which is really good. Yeah. Number one was Rodri, not a shock. Uh, Hoybier was two. Huh. He was the second highest rated defensive midfielder last season, according to whoscored.com. Um, so, like, maybe, uh, I'm sure there, there is a higher ceiling on Basuma, and I think Tottenham, like, that would be the allure for them. You know, they're not trying to just finish fourth. That's clear now with a lot of these moves that they're making. Perisic, um, you know, like, they're trying to convince Kane, you don't need to go anywhere. You can win here. Like, so that's, 
they're doing those things, and they got to do that with high ceiling moves, and Busuma, Busuma fits the bill for that. Um, but by the same token, Hoybier is not just some guy. Uh, so if it means him moving on or moving into more of like a sub role, which I don't know how he'll take to that. He hasn't been that guy ever in his career. Uh, I don't know, but I found it interesting. Eric Dyer so. will now be center back forever. He ain't going nowhere. If that's the case, if there's another defensive central midfielder brought in. Yeah, I mean, it. Dyer had a great season, so I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, okay. Um, let's see. Paul Pogba, JJ. Paul Pogba. And a long national nightmare ends. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna talk less about him, which I th- well probably not in a World Cup year, but significantly we are not going to enter the season with the question, what's his best position? He's back to Juventus. That's his best position, Turin. I mean, we never saw a better version of him than we did there, with the exception of, of in a French uniform. Um, to me, this is more about like we can talk about the Juve stuff another day. We'll talk about the French stuff, of course, with the World Cup rolls around. This is more right now about the Manchester United stuff with Pogba. I mean, he's brought in for $89.3 million, leaves on a free, yeah. and in between those two things happening, achieves, insert adjective here. Uh, nothing. Okay. <laughs> All and right. A, I mean, What, a uh, league, FA Cup, League Cup, was he on those teams? Yeah, he was. And a... Um, all in the same season, mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, were they all in the Europa same season? League? Europa League. He was, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just not good. He just wasn't good. He wasn't consistent. Now, was it all that's, his fault? That's the thing. Consistent is the word. Was it all his fault? No. Did United look after him and put put the pieces around him to be successful? No. Did the managers they hire serve him well? No. Oh, definitely not. Um but there was a, a sense that he was not a regular, consistent player who week in, week out, against all opposition, was going to dominate the game and dominate the midfield in the way United uh, needed him to. Now, John Giles used to con- consistently say, analysing him every week, because it seemed like you had to every week, he said, you have to let Pogba be Pogba. You have to give him the freedom, and you need two other centre midfielders to do the other work for him almost to serve as Pogba or let him be free and that never happened at United they yeah. never had that solidified base outside of Pogba so was it all his fault? no but um, he was cutting his own highlight reel his own exit highlight reel and if you just watched that it summed him up you, did, you didn't need words so there was the deflected goal against Ajax in the Europa League final that was part of it and, and then there was just a, a vignette after vignette little piece after little piece of skill or a turn, many of them coming against Southampton, it seemed. Um, just little bits and pieces, and that's it. That's that sums it up. Every time he showed you a flash or something, he was injured or he was inconsistent the next game. I saw one moment under Mourinho where I thought Mourinho's figured it out here. He played on the left of a three away at Goodison Park, and he was magnificent. And he hardly, he hardly really functioned there again. He he played on the left of a three the end of last season the season before this one at Old Trafford against Liverpool and he was anonymous so I don't know really weird tenure very odd and and I I actually feel sad for him because he did say before he left the club in not so many words I'm, I'm paraphrasing here that he felt like it was wasted time at United wasted five years prime years 
the of, be- of a great player. The best years. And it, the only thing to comfort him is that World Cup winner's medal. Which is a nice comfort. It, it is. But, but from, in terms of club success at that place, um, I don't think United fans, they will not remember those Pogba years fondly. No question about it. Uh, all right. I'm sure there are more transfers. We'll get to some in the coming weeks as they continue to roll out. But for now, let's spin the wheel again. Struggling Giants is what it lands on, JJ, which can only be a reference to the performances of England and Pogba's own France over the past Shall we get uh, France of out of the way fairly quickly? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'll say this about them. So, winless in their four matches during this window in the nation, in the UEFA Nations League. Lost to Denmark, drew with Croatia, drew with Austria, lost to Croatia. Yeah. Um, and pretty much, I mean, they changed the lineup a lot. Clearly, they're tinkering with things and trying to get a sense of maybe what they want their World Cup squad to look like. 100%. But... I mean, look at the lineups. Yeah, they're all different, but they're all great. They're I, all great. Now, I'd like to pull back on that now. I would like to, to, to reserve the right to say that the lineup in the second Croatia game was not great. The midfield was Ginduzi, Kamara, and Rabio versus Kovacic, Kovacic, Brozovic, and Modric. Now, I am giving... All right, that's fair. I'm giving the... Well, what else? Give me the rest of the lineup. Nkunku, Benzema, and Mbappe. What are they supposed to do? It's not the worst team I've ever seen. Yeah, but they're not guys that are going to drop in the midfield and create for themselves. Come on. Like, that is supposed to be the cockpit of your team, and Rabiot, Kamara, and Ganduzi aren't going to cut... they're not bums. They're not going to see that much of the ball for a start. That's the problem. Um, Deschamps had this to say. Beyond the system that we can change, there was such a, I'm reading from the keep, by the way, so this is a translation. There was such a superior energy in the adversary that it was hard to fight. We certainly did not have the means for this match, which does not take away the merit of this Croatian team, which keeps the ball well. It is like this gathering, and this is no excuse, where the organizations are in great demand. We lack strength, character, and energy. Mm. That's pretty much everything. That's a trifecta. Yeah. You have to accept, even if it hurts not to win a game, I didn't have the strength and energy to pass on to them either. The reality of the top level is unforgiving. And that's that's a top-level midfield. I, I, I'm i taking that Croatian midfield over that French midfield every sure. day of the week. Okay. And they control the ball. That means it's not going to get up as much to Benzema, Mbappu, and Nkunku. Uh, fair enough. England. Oh boy. England. It was, it was, it was an ugly scene at Molyneux. At the Molyneux, four nil losers to Hungary after having just recently lost to Hungary. Um, <laughs> it was their worst home loss since 1928. And, Scotland was it? Yep. And uh, the. Some of the scenes pertaining to the manager, I think, are what were most interesting to me. Yes. So I, I've pulled a couple tweets here. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> so Jamie Carragher tweeted. He tweeted the quote of what fans were chanting to uh, Gareth Southgate. The, uh, what was the substitution he made when he brought Harry Maguire on for, I can't remember who it was. There was an attack. Saka. Yeah. Saka was booed. Uh, uh, Daniel Story. Saka booed off, Maguire booed on. More chance of you don't know what you're doing. Louder this time. This yeah. feels like late Steve McLaren. So, uh, so in response to that moment, Jamie Carragher tweeted, quote, you don't know what you're doing. Shut up, you clowns. This manager has taken the country into two tournaments to the best position since 1966. Along those lines, uh, Oliver Holt tweeted, Southgate takes England to the World Cup semis in the final of the Euros in the last two major tournaments and qualifies for this World Cup seamlessly, and fans are abusing him because we've lost a relatively meaningless game. It's pathetic. 
So I see both sides of this. Okay. I'm not sure where I land. The first side is, I'll, I'll take the supporter side. So you're wondering why you haven't seen this kind of uh, vitriol, this kind of expression against, uh, against England and their manager. They're not playing at Wembley. That central section of prawn sandwiches and very nice supporters, that's not there. This is moving further north into the Midlands where hardcore travelling England support will be found. And they are feral at times. Okay. We saw it also, last... Also, in fairness to Southgate, though, it's not just that they were playing at Wembley. He didn't really, in in previous matches, give them an opportunity to treat him like that. No, true. They, they won a lot. True. But there's there's a sense... There's two schools on Southgate. There's a sense that... The Ollie Holt sense. That he is doing brilliantly with this team. He's doing things that most England fans have never seen this team do. All, um, almost all England fans, except the ones who remember Bobby Robson, and even then Bobby, his record is better than Bobby Robson's. He's like the only, he's a manager He's pretty close to like Sir Alf Ramsey like, is number one, and he's two. I mean, let's be honest, he's like a missed penalty away from having a statue of him outside of Wembley Stadium. Right. He is. Now, the, sec- the other school of thought is England underperformed in that final, should have won that final. He was riven by conservatism, didn't bring the players on at the right time, waited too late, and England blew their best chance at home at Wembley Stadium after being 1-0 up. That is the other school of thought. Okay. And I fall somewhere between those two stools. I'm not... I. To me, what's wrong with what Jamie Carr said and our, our friend Joe Prince Wright, are people seriously, he, I think he tweeted, I'm paraphrasing again, whether um, tweeting about whether Southgate should be sacked. Are they serious? They are. They, like the idea that this can't be questioned. There is. I, I'm with Joe Prince Wright. If, if you're in the middle, then I'll, I'll push myself to a side on this one. A manager has to be allowed to have one bad moment. One! Yeah. And I, 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 I don't think he should be sacked. Um... <laughs> yeah, it seems weird to talk about it, but I still hold the view that last summer's final in Wembley against Italy was a missed opportunity. From what we've seen now, we can plot the course of that Italian team. And once they got outside the group stages and that good feeling and those couple of games in Rome, their form dipped. It absolutely did. And it took some very good creative footballers to haul this that team back from the edge on a number of occasions. Austria and Spain spring to mind. So, and look where they are now. Absolutely nowhere. Getting hammerings from Germany. They look like a tier C team in the Nations League. So I do believe that was a missed opportunity. I don't believe Southgate should be sacked. Now, back to Daniel's story. One thing, and and this is where you're going to freak out. One thing that is now almost unarguable is that Southgate is going to have to go semi-final, final winners to leave this job in anything like credit which would equate to the joint fourth, third, and joint best major tournament performances in England's history. That is a staggering statement, that he now has to win the World Cup. He has raised his own bar to a level that is damn near impossible to achieve. It's really bleeping hard to win the World Cup. It feels, this does feel when you... This England team is good. They're not Brazil. They're not France. Like, we talked about it on our uh, Supercuts pod last week. Like... (sighs) To say that it's like, do you look at England and say they're a winner bus team for no, the World Cup? No. I don't think so. I, I, I think, I think if you look at the totality of everything, and I know I just said I, I was on the fence between two stools. I think 
the, his treatment has been very, very unfair. Very, very unfair. I agree. Um, also, the players need to be looked at. We heard all last week of grumblings about the players who largely play in the Premier League, if not almost exclusively with Jude Bellingham being one of the exceptions, mm. complaining about these games, that it was too much and that they didn't really want to be involved. And also not really understanding the importance of them. Why? So for Scotland or Ireland, we need the Nations League. They, England don't. They'll qualify by the regular method by some distance. That's the other argument. They don't need these games. Right. The Nations League is an encumbrance to them. I agree. Um, we'll get into England, of course, more as uh, like with France as we get closer to the World Cup. Let's continue now, JJ, and let's uh, let's give it the old wheel another spin. Two more spins. Here we go. Oh, 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 boy. Oh, boy. It lands on MLS takes a bite out of the apple. It's just really clunky. And clever. It's I not, prefer clever. I wrote all these down. I put them all on the wheel. I was very proud of them. I, I don't like Bite this out of the apple. The big apple. The biggest of all the apples, you could argue. So MLS has signed, of course, a 10-year, $2.5 billion deal with Apple. Um Two hundred fifty million annually to the league comes out to in twenty twenty three. I guess that's like eight and a half million per club, which mm. is actually doesn't sound like very much. No. I have okay. I'm trying to gather my thoughts because I have a lot of them. I know. Please, I'm trying, I'm trying to break. Well, so do you. We'll, oh, we'll I talk I, it through. I, I spend a lot of time thinking about. We're going to talk it through. I have it broken down into two categories. Of course the, you do. The first one is well. All right, easy there, stock up, stock down, or whatever it was you did with the U.S. team. Um, first one is why I like this. Let's look at it from both sides. What is, why would this ever be funny to you? It sounds, like, it sounds like Jack's presentation. Why I like this by Jack Gunling. So why I like the deal for MLS. So I'm going to go through my thoughts here. Like soccer, we talk all the time about the place that it occupies in this country, it trends young. It's the youngest, in terms of like demographics of, the, of fans who resonate most closely with this sport, it's the youngest in the country. So I like that they're kind of leaning into that. Young people tend to be cord cutters. They tend to be more tech savvy. They, they're going to be the ones that have Apple TV Plus subscriptions. So soccer is leaning into its young fan base. That's a good thing. I like an association with Apple. Like Apple's going to go hard to make this work because presumably they want to show that they can be a force in the sports media marketplace. Like, this is their chance to they, prove that. They definitely don't want to stop with MLS as, no, their, as their sports. Definitely not. Right. I'm sure they're looking at the NBA TV contracts coming up in a couple years. 100%. Um, so, like, Apple's going to Apple's gonna do what they can to make this work. This is not going to be some inconvenience for them. Um, so that's that's a good company that to be associated with as a sports league. Um, and here's the other thing with this. Like, quite frankly, I, I, I like it because MLS's TV ratings – for a generation, stink have been poor, and so and like it hasn't shown many signs of growth. So like I don't mind a leadership group that looks at a situation and says this current model is not working for us. Let's do something different. And so like you know and by, and in the process of being different, they're being innovative here. Like they're trying something that hasn't been done before. Um, soccer, so, soccer behind a paywall. So I kind of well, I mean going to a company like this and being its only property. Okay. Putting an entire league um, right. where people will have to go 
and like you're the only one there. Um, so I, I kind of I like that. Um, before I get to the the why I don't like it, are there any others that you want to add to that? Why I Cause, like because my why I don't sure. like it is a little longer. <laughs> yeah, um, but, can I just add the yeah. the streamlining of the of the of the fixtures like Wednesday Saturday, and I, I'm sure there's MLS fans shouting JJ. Mostly the games the the games you'll find are Wednesday Saturday, but that's not true because, as was pointed out, that is patently false. It's all over the place. Yeah, and I think if you can say Wednesday night is MLS night. Saturday night is MLS night. That is a good thing to to funnel fans and supporters towards those two nights. I think that that's a positive thing. It felt it, the schedule always felt very scattergun. I I think their idea and it depends a lot on execution of a whip around show which would be on Apple is a great idea. Mm-hmm. I think I'm sure what they're going to do is man it with someone who's already in the MLS presenter ecosystem. So it's not going to be, it may not seem that fresh to you. It could be Ian Joy. It could be, I mean, there's so many names. But it's going to be someone in that in that ecosphere uh, presenting it, which maybe is not as fresh as you'd like. But I think the concept of the whip around is a good idea. I like... All the other things you've said, I have more negatives, so I'll let you start with the negatives then. Okay, so let's go into some of the reasons that there's cause for concern here. Like, I get nervous about a sport that is in the midst of a growth process, cutting itself off from new and casual fans. Can I cut you off there? Sure. Can you change sport to domestic soccer league? Because this sport is only going up in this country. That is just a fact. The MLS does not equal sport. It's the sport of soccer here. Okay, fine. Right. Like that clarification is necessary, though. <laughs> clarification made. Okay. It will be stricken from the record. <laughs> um, like diehards will follow. Right. Many of them begrudgingly, by the way. Season um, ticket holders will. Well, they have been afforded passes for next year for Apple TV Plus, so they they have a free road in. Now I don't know about beyond next year. Um, but I like that's a nice touch, actually. That's a thing I should put in the why I like it box. I, I like that too. That's a that's a, a rewarding nice commitment to mm-hmm. going to actual games. That's a nice thing. But they'll be at the games, so they won't get to watch the games because so, they'll be already well, road, there. They're road games, and it might be a season tickets package that you split with three other people. Like it's a nice thing. Don't don't try to rain on that. That's a nice thing. All right. Um, but here's the thing: like for a sport or a domestic league. Um, a domestic league's popularity is not necessarily based on its diehard community. Like a, the popularity of a league relies a lot on casual fans and new fans yep. being bedded into it. Um, like, I'm afraid that what you've got here, JJ, is a, a culture where there might be a lot of people out there who count soccer as their, let's say, their third favorite sport. So, like, good fans. Not diehards, but a good fan of a sport that that's in, that's into it. Fans with money. They're not watching every game. No, but like they'll watch, but they're watching. They care about it. They're you know they're the people that you're trying to grab. I'm worried that these people have now been pushed into a position of, oh really? Eh, I can live without it. And now they're gone. And I'm afraid that that's 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 sad. That's disappointing to me. That that a lot of 
good fans have been put into that position. I should also note at this juncture, from what we've read, the reporting that's been done by Sports Business Journal, uh, John Arend, your your four ninety nine or whatever you pay for Apple TV is not going to get you this. There will be an added on fee. The price point has not been agreed. It's not going to just be on Apple TV. It'll be on Apple TV, but for the for the full package, there will be a price point set, and it will be. But it will be in within the existing space of Apple TV. Do you understand what I mean? Uh huh. So that to me is another kind of door that's shut to Johnny Casual. Also, sport in America, I don't know how many times I've just been on vacation or on the street on a Friday night, I'm going for a beer and I go in and I watch a game Mm -hmm. because something's on TV, baseball, um, and in in the fall, college football. That's not going to happen now. There's, There's no more stumbling across an MLS match. In a bar. Or or on your own television, that's not good. To that me. is not good. That's not good. Like you're gonna have to. Again, it's not like, you know, I'm not talking about lifting boulders, but you're gonna have to make an effort to get to it. It's going to be available to you on every screen, and they listed the screens. They were all Apple screens. What about Johnny Android? I mean, what I'm about, sure I'm what, sure people who don't have Apple products will be able to watch MLS. I'm sure they have to. Be. They haven't said yet, but I mean, now look, we should point out there is there is talk. Nothing's official yet, but there's talk of ESPN or Fox or one of these networks keeping some kind of regular television presence. I don't know how many games that'll be, but it might be something. You might still get a game of the week. I don't know what the deal would look like for playoff games or for MLS Cup final. I don't want to speak for the higher ups in this company, nor the higher ups in Fox. But uh, another question that I picked up from. Uh, the Orend and Marshand podcast was why would ESPN and Fox yeah, do this? I heard that on their podcast. That's too. a really good point. Why would they help? Why do we want to prop up a model that's trying to destroy us? Hi, I like MLS. Where can I watch more of it? Not on ESPN or Fox. Apple. Well, I'll go get my su- subscription. Why, right. would, why would you even do that? Right. Do when we, they're coming after your other sports. Do ESPN and Fox want to provide Apple with essentially free advertising? For their product. Yes. And the other side to it is ESPN and Fox patently did not want to pay the money that Apple were prepared to for the rights to this league. They didn't think it was worth as much as Apple. Yeah. Um, And like, even if you get that game on ESPN and Fox, the thing I worry about is like, like NYCFC on the Yes Network. Poof. Gone. Yeah. Like the, I can't, like, I can't impress upon people enough how wild it is to me that there's no more local coverage it's crazy that's that's probably the most groundbreaking element of this it's like see you kevin egan see you ian joy now these people like see you arlo white maybe 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 like i don't know maybe those guys will still get jobs over at uh at apple i I think they'll get sucked into the ecosphere of apple i hope they do because they've done great work and mls fans have come to trust these voices and these names but like will what kind of like, are, are, is the S Network still going to have, like, an NYCFC 30-minute kind of magazine show each week? I don't know. They may just sever ties completely. They'll never use us again. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, I just hope that this is not just, like, we're going to grab the money without a clear plan oh, for how we seems grow the like sport It, it seems a forward. bit like that. Like, they, the best offer on the table was the offer with most money, not necessarily the biggest point of growth. 
And like I, I know that there is like they will they will tell you that there is growth here because like open your eyes. This is where it's all heading. And they're right to say that. But I feel I just worry that, OK, if it was the NBA that did this, me as an you've known me a long time now, you know how much I love basketball. Like I would I'd do it. I would I'd, I'd make the plunge and I would do it because I couldn't live without basketball. Um, basketball is baked into American sports culture. This is like 75 years baked into the culture of this of, of the sports landscape in this country. Americans cannot live without basketball. And I'm just afraid that that MLS is going to find out the hard way that more people than they realize can live without them. Because here's the problem with MLS that no other sport in this country has to contend with. MLS is not just competing against basketball, baseball, football, hockey. They're competing against their own sport. That's the point I'm trying to make. Like if people, like the idea is, okay, people this fall are going to sit down, they're going to watch the World Cup. The, and they're going to get sucked into soccer. I want more of this. Where can I get more? I, I want to watch this every week. This was amazing. Okay, well, MLS is my domestic league. What do I? Oh, I got to pay for that. Well, is it the best league in the world? Oh, it's not. Like it might be even barely a top ten league. Not even top fifteen. Okay, well, the wait, the Premier League is on USA Network all throughout the day. Marquee games, best players in the world. Yeah, I'm a Premier League fan now. Like. I just hope that MLS is not moving into some sort of out of sight, out of mind place within the soccer sphere in this country. And and they can't because it's our domestic league. People are always going to go to games. The in-stadium experience is great. They sell tickets, like sell out crowds. Um, that's never been a problem for them. But like to grow the game, you need a television presence. Look, smarter people than me. No, work, work. Why, why, why? I'm not a smart person. No, the things you've articulated and, and the things you've allowed me to say, I, I think, have been pretty, pretty I fair. I have never silenced you on anything. No, as, I, for as ever many times I've wanted to. I, it fundamentally comes down to to this for me: soccer behind paywalls. There are certain lengths football fans will go to in this country to watch the Champions League, the Premier League, the Bundesliga. They've they've pretty much. Not universally, but they've proven that they will go to those lengths. A league that's not already universally watched or universally popular or very popular or even averagely popular shouldn't be going behind the paywall. That would be my instinct. Now, the other side to it is... You're right, though. I just want to stop you for a second. Like, that, ratings, that's kind of my gut, too. Is like They've got... Let, let, again, this is, this is probably not forward thinking. But like what you say there, it resonates with me because MLS to me feels like it should be the league that is like welcoming everybody in. Yeah. Like I would almost feel like NBA let them go to Apple, let NFL go to Amazon Prime, let baseball go to Peacock or whatever, and let MLS be like, we're here for you. We're still here over free television. Like let all them go. We're still here for you. Like, I lo- MLS. We're, we're still here for, here for you. But like, it feels like that's kind of what MLS should be. Is like, let the other guys go behind paywalls and lose fans that don't that are that are sick I of the money grabs. I kind of agree with you. But again, I'm sure they. they there has to have been smart people in a boardroom that said, "No, this is where it's all or headed, think, and we, you, we're going to blaze the trail." Do you think? And, and we should finish on this because we've got, I know. got another... I find this fascinating. It is fascinating. And and just cut me down. So Tim Cook, Apple... Um, Apple doesn't need MLS 
to have high ratings. Apple is a trillion dollar business based on what we've got in our pockets. It's not it's not streaming. It's an it, area it, it has gotten itself into, but it is not the be-all and end-all mm-hmm. in the way ratings are for ESPN or Fox or NBC or anybody else. <laughs> and they're offering all this money and Garber, Don Garber doesn't have to worry about delivering on ratings. Now, it's incentivized, I believe, in subscribers that they can make over the $250 million, but they don't have to worry about it. That $250 million is guaranteed. It takes a lot of pressure off MLS. It's true. And puts a and and if you're, you have to concede, Andrew, that a lot of the people who run MLS clubs are not grassroots soccer people, and they are interested in the business of making money. And when the most of money, most amount of money is put in front of you, they're going to take it. And Don Garber is answerable to to those people. Yeah, I worry though if they don't reinvest in their product. So they've gotten now all this new money, although it's not as much per team as you would, as you maybe think. But mm. still, they they've gotten this windfall of cash. Um, if they're going to ask people to pay for it, and they're not reinvesting in the product, whether that be signing more marquee players, yeah. more soccer specific stadiums, which we already have a lot, but there are certainly others that that could be improved, um, like. Where are okay? Fine, you got your ten-year deal and you made a lot of money in that window. Like ten years from now, when the net when the deal's up, like what will you? Where will you be? The other factor that might be up their sleeves is 2023-2024. You've got to think there's a good chance if Messi wins the European Cup next year. That's a big if, but okay. Well, if he does. Does Messi say, that's it? I'm going to Miami. I'm going to Miami. And that's a heck of a subscriber driver mm-hmm. to have Lionel Messi. Where can you watch him? Only on Apple. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they see something coming down the line. But by the way, that's short-termism because Messi will not spend the best years of his career in the United States. I find it fascinating. It is. It's, I don't know that... Uh, I'll be curious what the response is from people who listen to tonight's podcast. I'd be very, I'd like to hear from you. At CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com, and caughtoffside ESPN on Instagram. You can find us always. Let's do, uh, let's do one more spin. Usually we have a three minute ticking clock. <laughs> can you imagine? This, too much, this is fun. I'm enjoying it. It's freewheeling, it's light, it's late night with Andrew and JJ. They're just talking. Here's our last spin. Soccer changes. List them to me, and I will rate them. So Arsene Wenger, he's he. The, some of this is is him. You know how he was like he wants. He's <laughs> been stuff. banging on about kick-ins for about forty years. And then some of it is also. I don't know that any of this has been made official yet. But they're the Dutch second division, the KNVB, the Dutch Association. So they what? they want to test out a variety of new rules. So I'm going to go through here some of the new rules that have been bandied about. You okay. just tell me. All right. I like it. Don't like it. Kick-ins. No. Instead, so that's instead of throw-ins, there will be kick-ins. No. Enforce people taking throw-ins quicker and properly. Be strict on that. Kick-ins. No. Turning freak. Giving yourself a free kick. No. So here's here's the only thing I would say about it is, I, from a pure excitement standpoint, I don't hate it. I think more free kicks could be a good thing. Equals more long balls. But the only 
the only reason I'm not sure about it is I, I just worry that like is a ball being kicked out of play like getting a free kick for that is that too good of a of a reward Way for too a big thing of a ro- that's like not that big a deal so down by the corner flag you right, get it's all, like a corner it, it's kick. almost as good as for almost 10 to 15 meters outside right no can't yeah, do that that's the only thing that I worry about with that okay fair enough um all right yellow cards JJ would come with a five minute penalty for no, the player who committed no, no 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 interest in that no no interest in that no don't hate it i I want that I want especially if it's if he's an absolute lunatic note job I want him to have the opportunity to give me the entertainment of a quick second yellow and being off. Yeah, but that, I want that. I think the likelihood of, of well, uh, I think the likelihood of a goal happening with a player off the field is greater than the likelihood of a guy committing so, two, so two, you want power, two quick yellows. power plays then? If you want to call it that. Okay. I don't hate it. No, not for me. Proper football, man. Um, let's see. Dribbling on a free kick. Uh, yeah. Uh, bring that in. Okay. In certain, for certain fouls. You know the way we have an indirect free kick? And a, and a direct free kick. The indirect free kicks are an endangered species. They are, but like we could do something a little bit clever. Take it to yourself quickly. I don't hate that one. I'd like to see it develop. Let's work with it. Let, let's uh, put it up the flagpole and see who salutes. Whatever. Unlimited substitutions. No. I don't I, like this. Increase it to five if you want, if we're going to keep playing that amount of games. But I like the strategy of having to pick your spots. 100%. And I also think, look, so much of this game is weighted in favor of the big teams. Let's not give them this. Yeah. Like, this would be such a huge advantage for a club like, look at Man City's bench. But Jack, and look at Brighton's. Jack, Jack, it's not fair. Jack Grealish might get more of a game. So. This is a thing for you. I've seen you battling with Michael I'm, L. Goodman on Twitter, and I, I and this has now become personal. Oh, I just, and I'm I, afraid that poor Jack is going to be collateral damage eh, in this fight. And, you know, I don't want to be tied up in... I'm going to end this fight because I don't want to be tied up in knots with one of the stats guys, because you won't win. No, you will not win. So, I'm rooting for him. Um, and then last one, which I cannot, I bet you're going to hate this one. Two 30-minute halves with a clock that stops when the ball's not in play. No, 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 no. No? no not no, even true? No. I would like to see someone try it. No, no, no. Well, well the KNVB are going to do it. I want them to try it. Jan Dirk van der Vee. We want a faster, sportier, fairer, and more attractive game, said the director of amateur football within the governing body, the KNVB. No, 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 no. Just... I'd like the. This is one. Other ones I said yes or no, no. for. This is the one where I'm. I want to see someone try it before I. No. Have my yeah, opinion. No. No. Opening what, what, the. Op- are you gonna just say nope, or do you just for you to feel so strong about it? I'd like to hear you have a reason. No. I. The, the, there are innate rhythms to the game. Oh, JJ and his rhythms. <laughs> there are, and I and um, I I think enforce the rules. Have the referee be tighter on time. There's a fourth official there as well. He's got a job of, of, of work to do as regards the time. Get him doing it more accurately. What's the statistic that of the 90 minutes, roughly 50 of them are game action? But part right? of the game is the ball going out. It, it's always been that way. That is a part of the game. I guess. Is that like, oh, but God, who cares no, about that uh, part? Jeez, oh, I have been at American sporting events where... That bloody stop clock, and I'm like, I'm either busting for the bathroom or busting to get out of here because I'm bored to death. Don't do this to soccer. We have nice set times. Please. Thank you. The rhythms. The rhythms. Can we finish? Uh, That's it. That's it. Brilliant. Can we, because we're, we're, we're up against the clock here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fin- we've got poor Doug waiting. I know. Finally, I'm going to give you something I haven't given you in forever, Andrew. This. Uh-oh. 
is Irish lungs. Brown gets in with Christie. Wow, that's a big challenge between the two of them. There's Billy Gilmore, no space for him. Over Femi, over Femi, shoots! It's a great goal. Oh. Th- that's not Scottish lungs. It was good. It wasn't Scott. It wasn't quite Scottish. No, because we were beating them three 0 <laughs> Although they had a, they had a quite a travelling support as they tend to have for a little trip to Dublin. Brilliant win. Such a big win. Turned around the Nations League and um, well, not entirely turned it round, but after losing to Armenia and a really poor showing against Ukraine's B team, it was it was good to get that win and good to go then to Poland and and play play so well. And score another brilliant goal. It's it's. I was so depressed last week with the way Ar- Ireland was shaping up. But sadly, I was the one on the receiving end of that depression. No, but uh, that was great. Um, great to have. And you had to, yeah. You couldn't just say, "Wow, that must have been a great atmosphere." But you had to rank. You no, you told me that it's it, when you sent me the email. You said, "We got our own Scottish lungs now." I didn't. No, that's not actually what I wrote. You liar! But you'll never, uh, you'll never get over uh, the goals, Lee Griffin's goals against England. <sighs> Lee Griffin's the the second, especially. Yeah, I've never heard noise like that myself either. It's it's glorious. Chills, chills. All right, uh, I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead, take a break. When we come back on the other side, we'll put a bow on these last four matches for the U.S. Men's National Team. Doug McIntyre of Fox Sports. He will join us next. Don't go anywhere. We got a lot to talk about with Doug. More caught offside still to come. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. JJ, we talked about it earlier. We mentioned, of course, that he would be joining us. One of our favorite people to have on the program talking U.S. soccer, little MLS. Doug McIntyre of Fox Sports back with us once again. Doug, what's up, man? How are you? Doing really well, guys. It's good to be back with you. Yeah, it's nice to uh, it's nice to chat. Certainly, a lot going on here in American soccer, as is always the case. Let's dive right in. Uh, talking about the U.S. men's national team, we got a lot of tweets. We talk to our friends. We get emails. It, it feels like with this team right now, the number one thing that people want to talk about is the striker position for this team. That number nine. It feels like Bearhalter is giving Ferreira every opportunity to win the job. Is he the clear leader, or is it still just totally up for grabs? Yeah, I think I think he is the clear leader. I think that's become obvious, and it's not so much what Jesus Ferreira has, has done, although he's leading MLS in goals and he's he's gotten a bunch of goals for the U.S. team lately, and you know, particularly the four goals we saw against Grenada. It's, it's that. You know his competition. No, no one's no one's stepped up and been better than him, right? So it's not so much he's been so great. It's, it, it or, although I think he's played well, but it's no no one else has really uh, given given Berhalter anything else to think about. And you've seen we've seen so many guys cycle through, whether it's Jordan Peefock or, or Josh Sargent who started early in qualifying a couple games or. Uh, you know, Daryl DK, who had been talked about for a while, uh, you know, you go down the list, Ricardo Pepe, yeah. you know, had his moment and then fell off. Um, and, and yeah, there's really, you know, Haji Wright was the, was the latest one. And, um, and he didn't really take advantage of his chances either. Although I, I would argue that, you know, pretty tough spot to put him in, in, in that game on, uh, on Tuesday night, last night, where, 
you know, the field conditions are terrible. He gets yanked at halftime. His other, his other two appearances came off the bench. Um, but yeah, it's, it's for, for as one of the guys, I think there'll be more than one out and out striker that they can, you can argue for as an out and out striker. Um, so I think it'll be Jesus and someone else. And, you know, that someone else I think is going to be determined by whoever's in the best form heading into the world cup. And, you know, a number of the guys I just mentioned, they, they know going into their new European season that if they can get off to a hot start, they're going to get called in in September. And if they can, you know, maintain any sort of goal-scoring form, they're going to get serious consideration for the World Cup roster. And that's a, that's a hell of a carrot to dangle in front of a, a group of forwards um, and, and certainly in such an open competition. So I'm really fascinated to see how the beginning of the European season shake out. Um, but as of now, yeah, Jesus Ferrara, for lack of any other better option, appears to be the guy. Doug, I'm going to ask a broad question, uh, which is probably unfair, but I'm going to do it. The the sage philosopher of U.S. soccer tweeted last night, at Watke, I speak of, I think we learned a lot yeah. about ourselves right tonight. It's going to take a long time to figure out what exactly. Um, so I, I have to say yeah. I enjoyed last night's game immensely. The other three games, okay, I think Morocco I enjoyed, but the other two, maybe not so much. What I, what I, what I don't know is what I learned. And I'm curious if... If you've come out of this set of games with any any solid kind of takes or opinions from any of it, yeah. So it's 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 funny. Your timing is good. I just wrote a story today about what we learned from these four games, and ah. you know, some of it is yeah. There you go. There you go. See, excellent, excellent timing. Very good question, JJ. <laughs> the, the thing I would say is that I don't think I, I think we had some things confirmed that we suspected like we still we still don't know who the number nine is Jesus Ferrar was the was the was the guy coming in leave into camp and leaving camp he's, he's still the guy um you know we we did get an answer I think at, at the center back position where the big question coming into camp was you know who fills those those big shoes of of Miles Robinson who, who had established himself as you know if not the top U.S. center back certainly a starter um over the last year or so and um, and that guy is Aaron Long for now. I mean, he's the only player that started all four of those games. You can agree whether he deserved to or not, um, but but he did, and that that's a window into you know how much Greg Berhalter trusts him. Now, I still think that there's you know I wouldn't say he has sealed his spot next to Walker Zimmerman, who I do think is a starter, um, because Chris Richards might still have something to say about it. Really, you know, highly regarded young prospect, um, still the property of Bayern Munich. We don't know where he's going to play this year, but he's a proven player now in the Bundesliga. Um, brings a lot to the table, and 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 certainly a guy that if he if he's playing at a high level at the beginning of the year, um, could could slide in there. Um, and I think we let you know we saw other guys get get a chance. Joe Scally got a chance. I don't think he did anything that that's going to move him uh, onto the the World Cup roster. When you look at some of the other fullbacks, you know, Sergio Death, Anthony Robinson, I think your starters, and then. You know, I, from based on what we've seen, the the, the picks, the lineup choices that, that Berhalter make made, it still seems like, you know, George Bello is 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 not, you know, is on the outside looking in. I think at this point at left back, and and uh, you know, if Anthony Robinson was to go down, I think Sergio Des would switch over. That that was the, the case during a lot of qualifying, where in a lot of cases there was no natural left left footed left back, you know, backup for for Jedi Robinson. Um, so, you know, that, those are a number of things that I think we learned. Brendan Aronson played a number of these games 
this month in the middle, in the midfield, where he had been used primarily as a as a wide forward or winger in, in the other games. He, he started two matches in kind of that, that playmaking role. We saw last night, um, you know, the AMA midfield with, with Musa um, and Tyler Adams. And then uh, he came off the bench and, and replaced uh, Luca Del, uh, Del Torre in another match. So, so, so a different role than we saw him play in qualifying. So li- little things like that. And, and I agree with you. The match last night was endlessly entertaining. You know, you saw the weather reports beforehand. You knew exactly what a kind of game it was going to be, mm. um, you know, uh, and, and and it was and it was glorious and it, you know, has no bearing and resembled in no way what a World Cup game is going to look like. Um, but it tested it tested the U.S. team. And, and I said this to someone earlier today, you know, they they started their qualifying campaign. We've seen a couple of these moments. Um, for the U.S. team over the last year. The, the first one that comes to mind was that Nations League win over Mexico where you saw a young group really come of age and grow over the course of that match. Um, and you saw the fight that's required and all those things. And I think they went into qualifying uh, into qualifying with a little bit of a, a, a false sense of security because they had won the Nations League, they had won the Gold Cup, and there was maybe a thought that, you know, CONCACAF teams, we, we're going to handle them. And they got a rude awakening when they went down to El Salvador for that opening game, and, and they learned very, very quickly that it's not it's not that easy. There's a lot of factors, especially when you go away and talk to that, that level the playing field and make it extremely difficult. Um, and, and you know, there's all you know, talk you know, the playing surface itself, right? Like the the travel, the the, fan, the opposing fans, so many things. You know, fireworks going going off like during the game or during the national anthem, all sorts of crazy stuff. So it was really interesting to see them to go back into the same place, and they just looked like a much more mature team. They were up for the fight. Um, I was shocked that Christian Pulisic was was starting in the game, but you know it kind of makes sense, right? You have your leader, the, the the face of U.S. soccer, and he's out there getting kicked to bits, and his his uniform's the same color as, as the the muddy field, and you know that does something for a group when when you look at your best player, um, you know, a guy that, that's won a Champions League. Um, you know, out there fighting like that, it brings everyone else into the fight. So, you know, the intangibles, the, the sort of resilience you're going to need at a World Cup, I think those things were bolstered last night, um, even if, you know, from a soccer point of view, it wasn't really helpful at all. Doug McIntyre of Fox Sports joining us here on Caught Offside. Doug, you were going through the, you know, different areas of the, of the lineup for this team. And, you know, this is tough to do because things are going to change a thousand times in the next five months, but this is sort of what we do. So I, I wanted to ask you about Gio Reyna because I feel like this is an emerging storyline that, for me personally, is very interesting because there, there seem to be two clear, distinct schools of thought with him. One is that if he's healthy, he starts. I don't care who you have to bench, you do it. And the other is an acknowledgement that he might be awesome, but this team has kind of gelled while he's been out. And I don't know that there's a place for him in the 11. I'm wondering where you fall in those two schools of thought. It's tough to say. I mean, I agree with, with everyone else that Gio Reyna is a special talent and a guy that you know is, is going to have an incredibly bright future with the national team. Um, and it, I think it will, you know, it, it's impossible to answer that question now because we don't know what kind of form he's in, um, you know, if he's going to be healthy, he hasn't been able to be. Um, but I think when he's healthy, he certainly – He's a guy that he can start. Um, I'm not convinced that, you know, the team has gelled without him. I, I think there's still, you know, you're going to need different players in different moments. And uh, there, there's there's dips in form. You know, Tim Weah went through a period where his club form wasn't great. And then he ends the season in fantastic form and looks really good for the U.S. And, and we'll, we'll have to see how, 
how things are once we get close to the World Cup. So Gio Reyna is playing every single week. Um, we don't know what position he's playing. Is he going to play in the middle like he did last year for Dortmund? Um, you know, he, he's played almost exclusively on the wing for the U.S. Although when he came in in March, he didn't he didn't um, start any of those games. He came off the bench. He played a bit more uh, in the middle. So it's really fascinating. And it, these these are high quality problems for Greg Berhalter. There are going to be injuries leading into the World Cup. There always is. You're never going to have all your top players available um but it's a really good problem i mean another guy talked about brennan aronson and and can he be a starter uh, is, is he uh, in the 11 if everyone else is healthy you know that's a great problem to have i mean he's a he's a terrific player and you know you're looking at um you're looking at national teams around the world some of the some of the players that are on the bench on the top teams are, are incredible i mean kai Havertz yesterday uh didn't get off the bench for germany he's the guy that scored the winning goal in the champions league a year ago and mm-hmm. Uh, and and it, it's it's incredible. So, yeah, you can never have too many good players. I'm a big fan of Gio Reyna, um, but you're you know I, I understand the idea that he's not penciled in as a starter right now. And you know if he if he gets himself to that spot, that's good news for the U.S. come November. Doug, let me just get everyone up to speed on on what's happening in the goalkeeper merry-go-round. So. Manchester City's on-loan goalkeeper who might have been a threat to Zach Steffen in the number two spot at City, Gavin Bazzuno, he's going going to go to Southampton permanently. That means that Zach Steffen is secure in his number two spot at City, which is we don't want, or it's less likely City are going to let him leave. Then you've got Ethan yeah. Horvath. Ethan Horvath, the rumour today is that Nottingham Forest are trying to sign Henderson from Manchester United to become their number one because they think they'll lose Bryce Samba. What does that mean yeah. for Horvath? Does Horvath get to go anywhere? Is he locked in then? And then you have Bernd Leno last week making a joke about the fact that Arsenal fans think he's leaving somewhere when he doesn't seem to be. What does that mean for Turner? Is Turner two? Is Leno three? Yep. What do, like? Yep. So all of this is happening and... Us as US soccer fans are just focused on the World Cup and who's going to be playing the most amount of games. Question, two-part question, I guess. Uh, who's your number one right now for the US men's national team? And does Greg yeah. Berhalter, does he actually care whether his keeper is starting or not for his club? Or has he just accepted this is the way it is and he's picking the guy who's played best for him lately? Yeah, so for, first off, Matt Turner is my number one okay. right now. Um, I, you know, he he's he is the guy that's playing most consistently alongside Sean Johnson because he hasn't made the move, you know, over to Arsenal from MLS yet. So he's 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 proven in in qualifying. I think he's I think the team is calm with him in that. Um, he's been he's been reliable. We've seen mistakes from other keepers, including Hor- Horvath last night. You know, Stefan's mistakes for Man City in, in kind of big moments are well documented. Um, so, so he's he's my guy. Berhalter says that um, that starting is important, and and again, he he sort of deferred and said, "Look, I don't have to make a decision right now. We'll see how it goes then." And a lot can happen between now and then. To your point, like you know, if Ederson gets hurt, Zach Steffen all of a sudden, you know, could find himself with a run of games going into the World Cup, and you know, we'll see what happens when when silly season starts and ends, and and everyone. You know, everything settles and we know where everyone is um, and we'll get a much better sense of, of you know, who's who's where and what the pecking order is. Um, I, I asked Matt Turner a few weeks ago if there was any chance he was going to go on loan 
um, to start the season. And he said, no, he's going to, he's going to stay at Arsenal. So, you know, it doesn't look like he's going to be the number one there. It doesn't look like Stefan's going to be the number one. It doesn't look like Horvath's going to be a number one with his club. And, and yeah, that's, that's troubling. That is a problem. Um, is there a chance that Sean Johnson could be the starter at the World Cup? He's never played that level of competition. Um, so you don't, I'm not sure you know what you get from him. What, what I will say about Sean Johnson, because it is pretty interesting, um, Sean Johnson took his chance against Uruguay, I thought, with both hands. This is a guy that wasn't called into camp originally, and he only was at it after Stefan uh, withdrew. And he gets a chance against the best team of the four that they played by far, in my opinion. Um, you know, terrific forwards from, from Uruguay. And he was terrific in that game. And I think his teammates uh, trust him. I think he, he, he's beloved by his teammates. He's an older player on a team that there's not many older veterans. Um, and he showed, that, he showed that against a top opponent that he can make some big saves. So, you know, I wouldn't rule it out. I, you know, I, I still find it hard to believe that that, that, that could happen. But, um, you know, I think if push came to shove and Sean Johnson was in goal, like, I, I, think, I think his teammates would, would have confidence in him to be able to do the job um, and would really pull for him. Like I said, very popular guy in, in the locker room um, and a guy that's waited a long time for his opportunity. I know his, his teammates were really pleased with the way he performed against Uruguay. And, and I, I, think he's, I think he's on the World Cup squad. At this point, um, you know, I, I would hate to say that that mistake by Horvath against El Salvador rules him out. But when you look at this month and you look at the game Horvath played and you look at the game Sean Johnson played, I have to think Sean Johnson's ahead at this point. So, you know, we, we might get a surprise there still. And uh, again, it's going to be fascinating to see how, how the, the, the keeper, the keeper caper shakes out over these next few months. Uh, Doug, you mentioned Sean Johnson. Last one for me has to do with his club team. In MLS, um, surprised to see this week Ronnie Dyla leaving NYCFC for Standard Liège. I know he was having the contract negotiations that he hadn't signed anything, so I suppose this was always a possibility. But NYC, they're top of the East, obviously defending champions. Does his exit, could it in any way send them into any sort of a spiral, or are they kind of just like a well-oiled machine that should probably just be able to power through this? You would think they could, um, but I think – I think anyone would tell you that when your coach leaves midseason, um, that has an impact on a, on a dressing room. Um, I'm not shocked he left. I mean, this, this, he has a European pedigree. I mean, he was coach at Celtic for uh, for for a spell there. Um, this is this is the modern MLS we, we find ourselves watching, where uh, it's it's not like it used to be in the in the old days, where there was really no chance your coach was going to get poached by by a European team. And it's a good thing. It's a good development of the league. It, we saw, you know, the other team in, in the New York area, the Red Bulls, lose Jesse Marsh midseason a few years ago. Um, so it, it's it's just the nature of it. I think I think players, for the most part, you know, understand the nature of the business that players and managers come and go, and you just have to do your job. Um, New York City has great building blocks. Obviously, they're, they're the champions. Um, if any team is positioned to to overcome something like this, I, I think I think they can do it. Um, but it would be silly to think that it won't have any any impact whatsoever. Delia is a a terrific coach. Uh, you know, won won a title with them last year, and um, and you know he deserves this opportunity. And I and I think that that's you know that's an important part of this. That you know this is now a league that coaches are 
being rewarded for their success. We, you know, we've seen other guys, Patrick Vieira, you know, is now coaching in, in the Premier League, um, you know, use it as a stepping stone. There's nothing wrong with that. It's going to continue. Um, and then and we'll see we'll see how New York City does. I think they'll make the playoffs. Um, I don't think any slip would, would take them out of playoff contention. And, and uh, if they can get in, they can win it. So uh, will they? We'll, we'll see. But, you know, Ronnie Dyla did a, a great job with that club, and, uh, and, and he'll be missed. But the nature of the business, guys, you know it. Absolutely. Doug McIntyre, Fox Sports, good stuff, man. I'm sure we'll be in touch in the coming months as we, uh, we build up to the World Cup in Qatar. Thanks, man. Can't wait, guys. Thanks for having me. Good stuff from Doug McIntyre. Always enjoy catching up with Doug. Yeah, it's good to hear from him again. The um, the Dyla stuff is interesting. I get why he did it. It just sucks that like def- the defending champion who is defending their crown by currently leading the conference can have this happen to them. Like, where else does this happen? It doesn't. Like, so it's you know. Um, and NYCFC, they received the fee in the low seven figures, apparently, from Standard Liège uh, for Dyla. That's per a source. Um, Efran Juarez, he's going to leave with him as well, the assistant coach. Um, so just they couldn't, they never came to terms on a new contract with NYC, and the current deal was set to expire at the end of the season. And this was once once that was becoming clear, this was always a possibility. I get it for him, but look, he's so. he's got he's got unfinished business in Europe. Glasgow Celtic went well, but not not as well as he'd wanted it to. Um, and so he's when the offer comes up, he has to go Standard Liège or a club with with some history and and a chance mm-hmm. to, you know, we've seen Vincent Company confirmed as Burnley manager, um, yeah, from Anderlecht, which is out of the frying pan into the fire. Um, but I what what M- I think NYCFC can absorb the loss. Dahlia, because I think the squad is there, the system of play is there. What they can't absorb is not hanging on to Taddy Castellanos. And when you see, it's like it's the rumor mill every day. It was Newcastle, it was Leeds. Mm-hmm. Um, people are saying he's, he's like there was a rumor that he he was on his way to Leeds. I don't think that's going to happen. But we don't know well, yet. The one thing you can say about NYCFC is that they've proven of late in their model that they are really, really elite at developing young talent. Well, as pa- well as part of the City Football Group, they've been better than anyone at scouring the planet and scouring South America for to bring players in that can... But ta- that is not easy to replace no. mid-season, that no. kind of talent. So, uh, look, it's not a complete disaster. Um, but, yeah, not, not great. No. It's just the nature of the league, I think. Not what you want. Not what you not want. Not what you want. Um, finally, one last thing for me. Can yeah. I give a, uh, a get well soon? Yes. Kristen Press, she uh, tweeted uh, a couple days ago, my heart is broken, I've torn my ACL. Readily accepting all love, prayers, virtual hugs, dog pics, and smudging ceremonies. Love you all. So I guess this is a, a call to all our listeners. If you have really cute dog pics, send them to Kristen Press because they clearly make her smile. Uh, someone else who needs smiles, uh, Steph Houghton, who or Houghton rather, who is not going to be part of England's setup. One of their storied players the last few years is n- not going. She's, I don't want to say she's lost her battle with fitness, but she's been left out of the squad um, for the Euros that will kick off this summer. So, um, former England captain as well, mm-hmm. big call, very big call. 
Um, but, you know, injury this season, not enough games under her belt. And so she misses out. And that's been kind of top of the news in England as well, outside of Gareth Southgate. And one last thing before we go. Last week we did a podcast and we did not mention Argentina. And we got crushed by people. So I think I just want to just lift the curtain back a little bit. We were asked to do a World Cup preview six months away from the World Cup um, at short notice. I literally we're capable though. I've, Don't make it sound like we were backed into some corner. If, if we were I, happy to do if it. If I thought for a second that we won't be talking about Argentina, <laughs> that this was our only shot, I certainly would not have omitted Argentina from any conversation that we had about the World Cup. But guys, that podcast stands alone. It is not the entirety of our World Cup coverage. No. And it's not a snub to Argentina, although I will admit, I haven't watched them since Copa America last year. Not really. Look, we went we went to the sports book, Caesar sports book. We looked at the top three favorites, um, and then they weren't there. They're fifth. It goes Brazil, France, England, Spain, then Argentina. I know we mentioned Spain. I'm sorry, we just didn't mention Argentina. And then we did dark horses, and like, they didn't Argentina, come up. Argentina for me don't really fit into either category. Like, I don't, for me, they're not necessarily one of my top three favorites. Maybe I would put them, maybe I, okay, fair. Maybe England, Spain, and Argentina should be grouped together. Um, I'll say that I was just more interested in Spain on that night. Yeah, but but I don't consider them a dark horse either because like they're they're above that to me. They're better than that. But so I never, we, yeah, I never. I, lo- I don't feel any need to apologize for no, this. No, but I, I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying I never, I never dealt with that podcast in my mind as if this. Well, this has this got is to the be definitive, definitive World Cup definitive comprehensive. No, no, we'll do all, every look. Maybe people are new to this podcast and haven't been with us through previous World Cups or major tournaments. We're going to do a group a group preview of every group. Everyone will be covered. We'll even do the top single in that country at yep. that time. Yep. So I'm no, I, I'm not worried about that. No, you, but you don't care about the general public. I love our listeners, and I take it as a compliment. People yeah. like when that happens. People listen to us, and I think they they want to hear us talk about the team that they like. And sometimes we don't. Yeah. And if they're mad about it, that's a compliment. I think you didn't you didn't get to my team. I I take it as I respect your opinions. I want to hear your opinions on the team that I like. And so I'm like, we didn't. I don't know. We just didn't on that one. I think that's fair. This has been a beefy, meaty, juicy podcast that people are going to enjoy because that wheel. Yeah. But there was was a lot to talk about. I mean, I I enjoyed that immensely. I love it. Never a dull moment. Absolutely never. Hey, uh, for you, my friend, let's... Let's end. Let's give it to you one more time, okay? Brown gets in with Christie. Wow, big challenge between the two of them. There's Billy Gilmore. No space for him. Over Femi. Over Femi shoots. Oh, what a goal! What a cracking goal! It's a pretty good roar. It's, it's a pretty good roar. Solid roar. To you, I say. Take you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 